happening? A good Tuesday to all of you. Thanks for joining me as always. It is very much appreciated. Many in the local media scoffing at the idea of Ben McAdoo being on the staff in 2024. We're not scoffing. We'll tell you why in just a little bit. But first, let's start with wide receivers. We all know that Bill Belichick's downfall here in New England was about the offensive personnel. It was a fact that he failed to build this offense correctly. He failed to handle the quarterback position correctly. And he failed to spend the money he needed to spend on certain talent to make sure this offense was at least good. His downfall can be directly pointed towards this offense and where it is now. And as a matter of fact, today, as we sit here wondering what Alex Van Pelt's going to do for the offense, we wonder who will be playing on this offense. No offensive tackles to speak of, no wide receiver one, and no QB one. Oh, and no tight ends in one running back. So we all know that Belichick's downfall was the offensive personnel. And just to kind of show you a sliding doors moment, an example of that, you can look at the offensive line. Joe Tooney, Shaq Mason, Ted Karras, the mishandling of those players, of those assets, led the Patriots to overdrafting Cole Strange in the first round. If they kept Tooney or kept Mason or kept Karras or any combination of those three guys, they would not have to spend a first-round pick on a guard or feel like they had to spend that pick on Cole Strange. And if they don't spend that pick on Cole Strange, they could draft somebody like Trent McDuffie, who is a starting corner for the Chiefs on Sunday and somebody who's played very good football at a high level early on in his career. And if you drafted McDuffie in that draft, then you would not have had to draft Christian Gonzalez. And as much as we love Christian Gonzalez, are you better with Shaq Mason, Trent McDuffie, and Zay Flowers than you are with Cole Strange, Christian Gonzalez, and Zero at wide receiver? You get the point. So the offensive personnel was a major swing and a miss over and over and over again for Bill Belichick. And one of the most recent examples that is a shining light on that fact is Jacoby Myers versus Juju Smith-Schuster. And Jacoby Myers was on Felger and Maz yesterday, and here's what he had to say about negotiating the contract with the Patriots. Quote, they just wouldn't budge. At the end of the day, Belichick didn't want to move, and I respected it. Like it's his job to do what's best for this team or what he thinks is best for the team. When Jacoby was asked how close the Patriots were to Myers' offer from Vegas, he said that the team was a million shy. Quote, they wouldn't move. I wouldn't have minded staying. It would have been a different conversation. I probably would have thought about it a little differently. I did enjoy Boston. So Jacoby Myers tells Felgren Maz yesterday, that the reason why he wasn't a New England Patriot this past season was, for all intents and purposes, a million bucks. A million bucks. Belichick would not budge a million dollars. And when you look at the contracts that were signed, because don't get it twisted, every time an NFL player signs a contract, the terms come out quickly. You know who leaks those terms? The person who leaks those terms, nine times out of ten, is the agent and the agent is going to leak the terms that make him look the best and make the receiver or the, the cornerback look the best. So a lot of times those initial reports, those initial tweets from Adam Schefter or somebody else about this player gets five years, $120 million, and $50 million guaranteed, those numbers, they're funny money. In reality, 
when you look at the deals that were actually signed, Doug Kide and Burt Breer had the numbers for Jacoby Myers. Myers, in reality, signed, for all intents and purposes, a one-year, $10.5 million deal. That's it. Don't get wrapped up in, in the three-year, $33 million contract. Don't get wrapped up in that. The actual numbers for Jacoby Myers, one year, $10.5 million. Now, he had per-game bonuses and workout bonuses that jumped that number up to $11 million, but Jacoby Myers' contract had zero ties to 2024. The Raiders can dump him right now without much of an issue. Juju's contract was for $16 million guaranteed. So $5.5 million more guaranteed than Jacoby. And Juju's contract is tied to 2024. He's set to make $7 million guaranteed this year. Jacoby Myers' contract was the better deal than Juju's. And Bill Belichick was unwilling to move a million dollars to bring back Jacoby Myers. The Patriots, if you look at it in a vacuum in 2023, the Patriots paid Juju Smith-Schuster $9 million instead of paying Jacoby Myers $10.5 million. I want you to absorb that for a minute. Meanwhile, I remind you, don't forget to like. Give us that thumbs up. Every single thumb means an awful lot to us. If you're watching on YouTube, take a second of your time and click that thumbs up. Facebook, Twitter, slash X, same deal. Comments and subscriptions. Trying to hit 2,000 subscribers by March 1st. Can we do it? I think we can. We continue to build momentum, and it's all because of you. So don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Spotify, Apple Pods, rate and review those five-star reviews. They also mean an awful lot to me and to this program and to the community. Secondly, a million and a half bucks. A million and a half dollars. You decided to come up a million and a half dollars short for Jacoby. And instead you signed Juju Smith-Schuster, who was on a bad wheel. And let's not forget about the reports coming out about a week or two ago regarding Juju the idea that the Patriots thought that his knee was better than it was, even though the rest of the NFL, according to other reports, knew that his knee was shredded and that it wasn't going to be some kind of jump-out-of-bed miracle and he was going to end up looking like the guy he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers years ago. And also, let's not forget the report that the Patriots were surprised by Juju's lack of route-running expertise. So they completely misevaluated the player that they brought in. And they decided over a million and a half dollars to bring in the unknown. Now, I didn't have much of an issue bringing in Juju over Jacoby when I thought that Juju was healthy. But the Patriots knew he wasn't healthy. They had the medicals. They speak to people around the league. They knew. They just try to be optimistic about it. That he was going to somehow be a different guy. They knew Jacoby Myers. And whether it was, oh, look, Nick, they were angry at him for the Vegas game or they were angry at him because of some of the offensive stuff and he wasn't happy with Matt Patricia and it said, I don't care. You knew who Jacoby Myers was. And Jacoby Myers was a guy that was going to give you 13, 14 games a season. He was going to give you 60 to 70 catches if the offense was running correctly. He was a security blanket for your young quarterback. You knew what you had in Jacoby Myers. And the fact that you decided to cheap out a million, a million and a half bucks 
instead of signing Myers to a $10.5 million deal guaranteed in 2023, you gave Juju $16 million guaranteed, $9 million of that in 2023. It's absurd. It's absurd. And this is why when people talk about Robert Kraft's spending, I understand that the Patriots have been at the bottom of the league in spending for the last eight to 10 years, whatever it is, right? I would also tell you that the Kansas City Chiefs are like 29th in spending the last five or six seasons. Now, of course, the Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. The Patriots had Mac Jones. A little bit of a difference there. <laughs> but when you look at it, everybody wants to blame Robert Kraft and say, oh, well, it's just the spending. He doesn't like to spend money. My point of view on this is that when you're Bill Belichick or whoever's going to run the front office this year, if it's, you know, if it's Elliot Wolf making those decisions, it's up to you to smartly, to intelligently allocate the resources that you do have. The Patriots had enough money to re-sign Jacoby Myers. They decided to sign Juju Smith-Schuster. The Patriots had enough money to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. They decided to extend Devontae Parker. Those are decisions. Those are football decisions, not money decisions. And so when you look at Jacoby versus Juju, that highlights the issue. We're not just talking about money. We're talking about evaluating players and, and the price that you put on those guys. One million dollars is not breaking any banks, folks. One million bucks is not going to break your franchise. I can guarantee you this. Robert Kraft is not walking down into Bill Belichick's office last offseason and saying, there's no way we're going to pay Jacoby Myers $10.5 million guaranteed in 2023, Bill. Take Juju for $9 million. In no world does that happen. In no world. And, and even worse, you're now stuck with Juju's contract for 2024, which you would not have been with Jacoby Myers. If Myers didn't work out, you could move on from him easily. Now you're talking cap hits. You're talking, how does this work? What happens? Juju's getting $7 million guaranteed this year after a terrible, after an absolutely terrible season. He's a sunk cost. He's a disastrous asset. Wouldn't even call him an asset at this point. And so Juju's contract is tough to move. Meanwhile, Jacoby, highly productive with the Raiders last year, even though they were shuffling quarterbacks, Jimmy Garoppolo, Aiden O'Connell. Highly productive year for Jacoby with no money really tied to him guaranteed-wise moving forward. Terrible season for Juju, $7 million guaranteed for this upcoming season. I have no issue with somebody setting a hard line on a player and a contract. I really don't. If you look at a player and you say, that's the value of the guy. The fact is, they got it wrong. And they got it incredibly wrong. And they got Devontae Parker's extension instead of DeAndre Hopkins. They got that wrong. And Hopkins was another contract. Don't buy into the numbers that were released at first. Those are agent numbers. Look at what DeAndre Hopkins' contract is with Tennessee in reality. It was about a one-year deal for relatively reasonable money. So it, it, it's the fact that you drew the line and you were cheap with the decision that was right there, that was right there in front of your face. And, and that should infuriate people. It really should. 
And when you look at the lack of money spent at the wide receiver position, the fact that you wanted to cut, you know, Jacoby a million bucks short and you went with Juju and you had a quarterback who was on his rookie scaled contract, it's absurd. It's crazy to me. It's crazy that the Patriots did not spend more money at the wide receiver position or make better decisions at that position when Mac Jones made 660 grand in his rookie season, $1.36 million in his sophomore season, and he made $2 million last year. If there's any time to spend a little bit more money on wide receiver, it's when your quarterback is making $2 million or less every year through the first three years of his career. And this year, he would have been making under $3 million. Disaster. Don't forget to send your super chat if you want to jump to the front of the line and contribute to the program. Again, I don't make a ton of money off of this. Hardly much at all. The likes help, the comments, the subscriptions help, of course, but really super chats help as well. So if you want to jump to the front of the line and send a super chat, feel free. Shooter McGavin says, well, they got it right because we got the third pick. I understand the idea, okay? But Bill Belichick and this team, the goal last offseason was to build a winner. The goal was to make the playoffs. And maybe it's a happy accident. Maybe it's, you know, happenstance that the way this all unfolded, the Patriots in the long term will end up being better. But we have no idea. We have no idea. Because we don't know if it was Jacoby Myers and DeAndre Hopkins, how that would have impacted this offense, how it would have impacted the quarterback, how it would have impacted everything. And so, you know, we look at it when the decision was made. We're not looking at it from the fallout and, and how things you know, ended up being and saying, oh, well, they ended up with the third pick, so not a bad scenario. Well, I mean, what if you ended up with a ninth or tenth pick, but your quarterback wasn't completely broken and you had a couple of pieces coming back next year in Hopkins and Myers and you had a top 10 pick or, or a top 12 pick? Are you in a better spot? At least you have something to work from offensively, right? You're starting from scratch. The argument is starting from scratch with the third pick is better than starting with Hopkins and Myers and maybe a quarterback that's not a complete loss with a top 10 pick or a top 12 pick. So that's the argument. That's the argument you got to think about. We'll talk about Ben McAdoo in a minute because I heard a bunch of people taking shots at McAdoo in the local media yesterday, and it continues today. A lot of scoffing happening and uh, I don't agree with the scoffing, and, and I'll tell you why in a couple of minutes. But Peter Jacoby jumps in, says one million dollars on a salary cap of two hundred and twenty million. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. It, it's it's absolutely a, a dereliction of duty, malpractice, whatever you want to say. And it ties into this season. It ties directly into this season. Because now when you're looking at an offensive coordinator, and if you want to have a chance to bring in somebody like a Nick Cayley or a Shane Waldron, they're looking at the current roster. Would Shane Waldron feel better about this roster and feel better about this job if you had Hopkins and Myers instead of what you have at wide receiver right now? I don't know if he would have taken the job, but I can guarantee you he would have felt better looking at that than looking at what you're looking at now. And that goes back to the idea of like, oh, well, they ended up with the third pick. Fantastic. But the coaching staff could have been better. The pick could have been better. 
inevitably you've got to wonder, well, the pick could have been better given the talent that you have. But you, you've got to wonder, of course, you know, if you win seven or eight games, does Bill Belichick come back? Possibly. But we're just talking about in the moment, the decisions that were made. And now you're looking at a roster that instead of Hopkins as your number one and, and Myers as your number two and Pop Douglas as your number three, you're looking at a bunch of nothing other than Pop. And we might have talked about Kayshawn Booty a couple weeks ago, but we all know what happened with him now. All right, let's get into uh, Ben McAdoo. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. And I'm going to tell you right now, the conversation we're going to have on Ben McAdoo is the reason why I believe, humbly, that we do things differently here. And I think the Ben McAdoo conversation is why people listen to this program, watch this program, and get invested in this program. Burt Breer posted over the weekend. The Patriots are in talks with Ben McAdoo to be an assistant head coach and help Alex Van Pelt on the offensive side. I want to first say that I am not telling you that Ben McAdoo would be a home run hire. As I've said, we have no idea no earthly idea if any of these moves are going to work out. If people tell you they know, they're full of it. We don't know what Alex Van Pelt's going to do. We don't know if Demarcus Covington is going to be excellent at D.C. We have no idea if Gerard Mayo is going to be a good head coach. We have no clue. A lot of people thought, oh, this guy would be great. That guy would be great. They stunk. A lot of people questioned moves on a coaching staff, and they end up working out. So we have no clue. But I want to add context. And ultimately, the question that I have about Ben McAdoo is does adding him make sense? Would adding Ben McAdoo to this coaching staff make sense? Now, my gut reaction, again, I'm as, as transparent as I can be, as honest as I can be. My gut reaction when I saw Ben McAdoo's name is probably a lot of people's initial reactions and a lot of the reaction that you saw yesterday locally and a lot of the reaction that you're going to see today locally, which was, oh, the guy with the greased back hair, the guy with the bowl cut, really? That's the dude you're bringing in, bowl cut guy? I remember doing radio when Ben McAdoo was the Giants head coach, and I made the same jokes that people are still making today. Ben McAdoo, right? Same jokes. So when I saw this from Burt Breer, all of those old memories came racing back. Really, that dude that wore like the 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 the, the workout suit, the jogging suit on the sidelines with the glasses, the sunglasses, and the the slicked back hair. That guy who who led the Giants into nowhere. His final season as the Giants head coach was an absolute travesty. It was a joke. It was a debacle. It was a train wreck. It was a dumpster fire. That guy you're going to bring in. I had all of those initial reactions, but here's how I try to be different. I then had my curiosity peaked. I'm a very curious human being, and I tend to go beyond gut reaction. My gut reaction is my gut reaction. And then I sit back and I think for a couple of minutes and I ask questions. So my initial reaction was slicked back hair, bowl cut. Awful last season as Giants head coach. This guy's a mess. Ben McAdoo. But then I asked, 
well, do I know enough about Ben McAdoo? Or am I going off of perception? Am I going off of reputation from the media? Am I getting wrapped up in all the one-liners and the jokes? Let me look at Ben McAdoo's record. Let me look at what Ben McAdoo has actually done in the NFL. Because it doesn't matter if he has slicked back hair or a bowl cut or whatever the hell he's doing with his body, (laughs) his wardrobe, none of that matters. So that's what I did. I went back and I looked at McAdoo. Now, here's a few things. When Ben McAdoo has one priority, when he has one priority of play calling, and I know he's not going to call plays for the Patriots if he's hired. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But when he has had one priority, and that priority is the offense, he's not worried about being a head coach. He's not worried about doing all the other stuff. When he's just worried about the offense. In 2014, the Giants were 10th offensively in yards per game. They were 13th in scoring. Not too bad, right? A good offense. In 2015, McAdoo's second season as the offensive coordinator with the Giants, they were 8th in yards per game, and they were 6th in scoring. They were a top 10 offense in 2015 with McAdoo as the OC. 14 and 15, his two seasons as the OC, if you're into EPA, the analytics, the Giants offense was 12th in football on EPA. So when you look at Ben McAdoo as an offensive coordinator with the Giants, an OC only, the two years he was there, the Giants had some of their best offensive seasons in a period of, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. If you go right before McAdoo and following McAdoo, they were good. I think all of us would take eighth in yards per game and sixth in scoring in in 2024 for the Patriots, right? The Riot Report, which is a, a Panthers website. Steve Taranto did some work on Ben McAdoo because McAdoo ended up being the OC in Carolina in 2022. Here's what Taranto wrote at the time. The season before McAdoo's arrival, so in 2013, okay, context matters. In 2013, the Giants were just beginning to struggle with personnel deficiencies. The Super Bowl-winning teams were aging out. Eli Manning, get this, Eli Manning in 2013 threw 27 interceptions. Under McAdoo in 14 and 15, Manning cut down his interception rate, enjoyed some of his best statistical seasons. He had the emerging OBJ to help. But from 2014 to 2015, with McAdoo as his OC, Manning completed almost 63% of his passes. And here's the thing. Again, the year before McAdoo was the OC with the Giants, Eli Manning threw 27 picks. In the two years, in the two years that McAdoo was the OC for the Giants, Manning threw 65 touchdowns and 28 interceptions. He threw 28 interceptions in the two years that McAdoo was the OC after throwing 27 interceptions in 2013 alone. So what happened in 2016? McAdoo becomes the head coach. The Giants went 11-5. and Looks good. But their offense fell. Their offense fell to 26th. And, you know, as written at the Riot Report, Steven Taranto, What success they did have was largely thanks to the individual brilliance of Beckham, rookie wide receiver Sterling Shepard, and the veteran savvy of Eli Manning. Now that leads to 2017. 2016, again, 
doesn't go well. Offense starts to plummet with McAdoo as head coach, play caller, all that stuff. McAdoo's offense became overly reliant in 2017 on the same sorts of concepts. They used 11 personnel almost exclusively. Wide receiver sets, right? Three wide receiver sets in 2017 with McAdoo, more than 90% of their plays. Slants and flats were a hallmark of the offense's passing scheme. It became all too easy for opposing defenses to predict. So when McAdoo took over as head coach, the offense fell apart. Some of that was aging. Some of that was predictability. Some of that I would, I'm sure, we've seen this with Josh McDaniels. Some coordinators aren't good as head coaches. When they can only focus on one thing, they're much better. When they're solely focused on what their top priority is and what they're best at, they end up being better. Robert Sala in New York as a, as a head coach versus what he did in San Francisco as a defensive coordinator. So when McAdoo was focused on one job, and that was making the offense work, in 2014 and 2015, he was highly successful. And from 2014 to 2015, the offense got even better. It was a top-10 offense. Eli Manning's play was 100 times better with McAdoo as the OC than it was the year before he was the OC. And then when he becomes the head coach, and I remind you, John Mara and company in New York saw how good McAdoo was running that offense that they decided to make him the head coach. When he became the head coach, things began to fall apart. And we've seen that with a lot of coordinators, a lot of different guys. It doesn't mean those guys stink. It means that they're not built to be a head coach. You know what else my research tells me? In 2017, Eli was washed. Washed. Eli was done by 2019. When Ben McAdoo left, when he was fired, do you know what the Giants did? Do you know what they did? In 2018, the Giants, after McAdoo was fired, went 5-11 and the next season. Was it a Ben McAdoo issue only? Of course not. Eli was washed. A lot of the guys on the offense were washed. It was an offensive line that was god-awful. I'll tell you the roster in 2017 in a minute. This team was aging. This team wasn't talented. This team was not protecting the quarterback. The quarterback was on his last leg. Again, McAdoo's offense was too predictable for sure. But they went 5-11 and the year after he was gone. It was a bad time for the organization. It was a bad roster. How bad was the roster? Funny you should ask. I've got that. So in McAdoo's last year in New York, 2017, when he was the head coach, here were the wide receivers for that football team. Get ready to throw up. OBJ, fantastic, right? Unfortunately for McAdoo and the Giants, OBJ played four games in 2017. So your best offensive player played four games. You had Sterling Shepard. Okay, not bad, right? The rest of the wide receiver room, I don't even know these guys. If you know any of these guys, I might know one of these names, Khalif Raymond. But here was the rest of the, the wide receiver room. So you had OBJ who played four games. You had Sterling Shepard. Then you had somebody by the name of Marquise Bundy. Do you remember Marquise Bundy? I could make a terrible Al Bundy joke right now. I won't. Roger Lewis. Do you remember Roger Lewis? Khalif Raymond, Travis Rudolph, Hunter Sharp. Who the hell are these guys? 
Do you remember who the running backs were for 2017's Ben McAdoo team with the Giants? You remember, I do, but you do you remember mostly because of his name? Orleans Darkwa? I think he was like a fantasy star for like four weeks. Orleans Darkwa was their starting running back to go along with Wayne Gallman, Paul Perkins, and Shane Vereen. We love Shane Vereen. Shane Vereen retired from the NFL after 2017. The offensive line in 2017 was ranked 26th by Pro Football Focus. They gave up the fourth most sacks in football. So that's what McAdoo had to work with. Not good at all. Now, most recently, most recently, McAdoo was in Carolina. 2022, he joins the Panther staff as the OC. Matt Rule is a disaster. It's a chaotic year. He is fired during the 2022 season. Run CMC is traded. However, with the head coach gone and your best player traded in the second half with Ben McAdoo as the offensive coordinator, the Carolina Panthers were top 10 in yards per play and EPA per play. So Ben McAdoo, as an offensive coordinator, improved the Giants' offense to top 10 in 2015, really changed Eli Manning's career for a couple of seasons. And then in 2022, without run CMC and with Matt Rule gone and McAdoo running that offense, they were top 10 in yards per play and EPA per play. Ipso facto, Ben McAdoo has done a pretty damn good job as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. A pretty, pretty, pretty damn good job. No matter what people want to say, no matter how many jokes we want to crack about Ben McAdoo and grease ball and, and bowl cut and all that crap, that's what his record is. That's what his resume is. When he is only an offensive coordinator, when his number one priority is running an offense and structuring an offense, He's done it for three years, and he's been pretty damn good at doing it. Fact. That's why you look. That's why I'm happy I have curiosity. And maybe McAdoo has a good eye for quarterback talent, which is pretty important right now where the Patriots are. Again, let's go back to the riot report. They wrote, according to the New York Post, in the 2017 draft, McAdoo allegedly became smitten by Patrick Mahomes. At the time, McAdoo told Giants management outright that, quote, I would love to get my bleeping hands on Patrick Mahomes. And of course, they were still stuck with Eli. It was a very awkward situation. Inevitably led to McAdoo's firing because he tried to bench Eli. Eli wouldn't want to be benched. Yada, yada, yada. According to the New York Post, 2017, during the draft meetings, during the conversations, Ben McAdoo said, I would love to get my bleeping hands on that guy, Patrick Mahomes. In 2018, here's what McAdoo told the New York Post about Sam Darnold. He's obviously a talented guy. He can make plays with his feet. I just have a hard time drafting a guy in the first round where you don't necessarily like the way he throws. He can overcome it, guys have, but that's something that's a challenge for me. I'm going to be looking at that, trying to fix it, because it's a fundamental flaw, and I believe in the fundamentals. So McAdoo in on Patrick Mahomes the next year, out on Sam Darnold. So maybe he has a really good eye for the quarterback position. Maybe just maybe. 
So how do I feel? Don't forget to give us that thumbs up. Don't forget to comment. Don't forget to subscribe. We are giving you stuff that I don't think many other people are giving you right now. I take pride in that. And I appreciate every single one of you who follow this program, watch this program, and appreciate what we do here. Thank you so much. So don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. Trying to get to 2,000 subscriptions by March 1st. Trying to do that. Daniel Martinez jumps in with a super chat. Sup, Nick? What if the Pats take a tackle at three? Seems like Bill was cheap. His draft maybe uh, him leaving was for the best. He was holding the team back. He was holding the team back offensively, no doubt. And special teams-wise, because he was devoting six or seven roster spots to coverage teams in 2023, which is bananas. And he traded up in the fourth round to draft a kicker who wasn't good. At least this year. Maybe he'll get better. I have no idea. We talked about the idea of a tackle at number three, Daniel, uh, on yesterday's podcast. The gist to me is, I'm a quarterback guy. I want a quarterback at number three. But if there are questions about these quarterbacks, I don't know these guys personally. And teams have watched hours of film on them. I would like Jaden Daniels or Drake May, but we'll see. I mean, it's also February 6th. What does the combine bring? What do pro days bring? What do interviews with these players bring? We'll get more info as we move along. But right now, I would love a quarterback. But if the Patriots aren't sold on on these quarterbacks, if they're not sold on May, not sold on Daniels, I don't think a tackle is a terrible idea. I really don't. And I went into it a little bit deeper during yesterday's podcast. I also love the idea, if you're going tackle, I love the idea of trading down a couple of spots, picking up extra picks, and landing that tackle at 6, 7, or 8. Because I do think there's a possibility that Joe Alt, Olu Fashanu, they slide down to 7 or 8. So I don't think it's a bad idea to draft an offensive tackle if you think that offensive tackle is going to be a Hall of Fame offensive lineman for 10 to 15 years, and that's the thought that Joe Alt is that guy. Fashanu is a little bit more raw. You could talk about Talias Fuaga as well. Had a good senior bowl week. Seems like he's starting to bump up boards a little. All right, back to my thoughts on Ben McAdoo in this offense. Ben McAdoo is, would be here to guide Alex Van Pelt. And again, what we know from McAdoo's career, his resume as a, a play designer, an offense builder, an offense courier, he's done a really good job. Damn good in his three years doing that when it's his sole purpose. So I don't think it's a bad idea to have Ben McAdoo helping Alex Van Pelt design an offense and help him call certain things in the preseason and get him ready to be that play caller on Sundays. The other thing about McAdoo, of course, is that he's from the Mike McCarthy world. Alex Van Pelt is from the Mike McCarthy world. So if you want some ideas on what the offense might look like, and by the way, I'm going to really dive deep into the offense coming up at some point, maybe this week. We got a lot going on this week, though. I mean, the Celtics trading deadline, I got to get to that. A lot of stuff going on. But when you look at this offense, Mike McCarthy, it, you know, it, it, it should lead you to some idea as to what this offense will look like if it is McAdoo along with Van Pelt because both of those guys are from that Green Bay coaching tree. So you know, you, you you will see a, a good vision of what this offense in part will be. I don't know if they philosophically gel perfectly. Even though Van Pelt and uh, McAdoo were together in Green Bay, if you look at McAdoo's offense, McAdoo loves spreading teams out, right? Uh, go back to 
an SI article in June of 2022. Shuler Callahan wrote this from the All Panthers website. If you watch McAdoo's offense, you know that he loves to spread things out, sling the ball around the yard. Offense is very basic, designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly and into the hands of the playmakers. So McAdoo, when he's running offense, if you watch back in, you know, 14 and 15 with the Giants, it was spread the defense out, get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly, get it to the playmakers, and just keep it moving. Alex Van Pelt in Cleveland last year, Cleveland went with, you know, heavy formations, and the offense was geared a lot off of their run concepts. So it would seem to be a little philosophically funky if McAdoo is thinking, spread defenses out, get rid of the, the football quickly, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Van Pelt from Cleveland the last four years was more, let's run the football, let's get chunk yardage off of our play action, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what we don't know, did McAdoo run that offense with the Giants because that's the offense that he had? Again, the running back room wasn't very good. Is that what he was looking at and said, that's the way that we can win and be successful offensively? It worked for Eli Manning. And in Cleveland, is that really Alex Van Pelt's vision of an offense in 2023? Or was that Kevin Stefanski's vision of an offense? So a lot of this is fluid. But I don't have a problem with it. McAdoo, Van Pelt, look, if you're adding brain power to the offense, to that side of the ball, it makes all the sense in the world to me because you have a head coach who is a defensive guy, zero experience with an offense. And we talked about this before Mayo got hired. If you're hiring a defensive coach, it is crucial to hire offensive minds and especially offensive minds that have some experience. And that's what you have. I'm not telling you that Van Pelt and McAdoo is going to light the world on fire if that's the tag team combination in New England in 2024. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm just telling you. The, the question that has to be answered right now is, would it make sense? Yes, it would make sense. It would make lots of sense off of Ben McAdoo's actual track record as an OC and not off of the perception of his haircut and the fact that Alex Van Pelt and McAdoo have a relationship, they have coached on the same staff before, and they bring tons of experience to a staff that has a head coach that has no experience on that side of the ball. And this is also trust in Wolf. This is or would be another Elliott Wolf hire. We saw Jerry Montgomery added to the defensive staff yesterday as a defensive line coach, taking over for Covington as he gets promoted to D.C. Montgomery is another Packers coach. So it's rather obvious that right now, Elliott Wolf, as we've talked about since, you know, last week, two weeks ago, rather obvious that Wolf is running this program. He might not have the title as GM or president of football operations, but he is running this program with Gerard Mayo. They are picking this coaching staff. So trust in Wolf. I have some trust in Wolf. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I've heard nothing but great things about him. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt with these hires. They could end up being disastrous. But Wolf has never run a program. Mayo has never run a program. And that's how it works. When, when guys have never done it before, they get the benefit of the doubt because they have no track record. They have to build the track record. They have to build the resume. 
if this, this ends up being a disaster, now we have something to go off of and say, well, Elliot Wolf picked the coaching staff on the offense, and it was awful. Gerard Mayo had his first shot as a head coach picking a staff, and it wasn't good. But until these guys actually go out there and do the freaking job, I can only go off of their resume and their experience. And Alex Van Pelt has an experience as play caller. Not great experience, but more experience than some of the guys that we're talking to. And Ben McAdoo has a relationship with Alex Van Pelt. They have a vision for this offense. It's West Coast. It's Simplify. That's what it's going to be. So I don't think it's a terrible idea. All right, I appreciate every single one of you joining us today. Sorry to get to as many comments as I usually do, but we had a lot to cover. Hopefully you enjoyed this. A different look, a unique look to Ben McAdoo, possibly joining the Patriots staff, going beyond his haircut, his wardrobe, and the terrible season he had as a head coach in 2016 with the New York Giants. And by the way, just came out Mike Garofolo, the Patriots are hiring Ben McAdoo as an offensive assistant coach. So Ben McAdoo is in town. I just gave you a bunch, a bunch of information on this podcast as to why I don't think that is a bad idea. So Ben McAdoo is going to be the guy along with Alex Van Pelt. I'm happy we can give you that news right now as we end this podcast because I just spent 20 minutes talking about <laughs> the history of Ben McAdoo and how this how this might gel here in New England. I don't think it's a terrible idea. Will it work? We'll see. But it makes sense. It makes sense as a hire. Ben McAdoo, Alex Van Pelt, that is going to be the offensive brain trust in 2024 for the Patriots. The most important thing, of course, the groceries, the talent. I can't wait to get into free agency with you. I can't wait to get into the draft. We're back tomorrow, 11 a.m. Until then, thank you. I appreciate you. Like, comment, subscribe. It is the Nick Cattle Show.